Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Today we're starting a new series, and we're going to begin a series studying the book of 1 Peter. Thank you. The book of 1 Peter, and Pastor Nathan is joining me. I am, yes. And together, we are going to introduce the book, and also do a bit of a, like, uh, I was going to say study, but a bit of an example of, like, how to study a book of the Bible, a passage of the Bible, because you can open it up and read, but... Mm -hmm. Without a starting point, it can be kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah, our heart, our desire as a pastoral team is not that people would just come and sit in a church or even view online and listen to a sermon. That's good. But also that everybody would know how to get into the scriptures for themselves, how to read the Bible in a way that's going to be um, meaningful and that God will be able to speak to you through it. There's, there's a difference between just reading and studying, right? Does it, do you know that, right? In, in the evenings when I am about to go to bed, I usually just read the Bible. I read a chapter and I just go straight through it and it just helps me keep familiar with the story of Scripture and what's going on throughout the Bible. But in the morning is when I do my studying. So I just take a small piece of Scripture usually and I jump into it and I pull it apart and I underline and circle and write notes in my Bible or on a, on a piece of paper or in my, in my iPad or something, but I'm going deeper into it. And so we want to give you an example of how you can do that. That may feel a little bit intimidating to you, or it may sound boring. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully both, by the time we're both done... Both are viable thoughts. Yeah, that, that's true, yeah. But hopefully by the time we're done you will see that this is actually something that you can do. Um, And one of the things that's going to help you with this, this was my father-in-law's study Bible. We encourage you to... Look at the size of that Yeah, I know, I know. Can you imagine carrying it anywhere other than, like, leaving it on a table? Yeah, well, that's what it's for. It's a study Bible. (laughs) It belongs in your study, I guess. So, (laughs) but it it weighs, like, five pounds or something like that. But a good study Bible is a great resource to be able to help you do some of the things that we're going to be talking about. So we'll we'll get into that and explain more of it. Mine's maybe two and a half pounds. (laughs) Yeah. But I brought yeah. it. It's dwarfed. Yeah. But it works. Yeah. And for this study this morning, we used our study Bible. We did, so yes. So there's, um, there's many resources that we can use to study Scripture and many softwares and commentaries and Bible dictionaries and beautiful resources mm-hmm. to go super deep. Um, but we want you to know that you also can study the Bible. And you can do it with a regular Bible, and a study Bible is a great first step. That's right. To, so anything that we're about to share, there's you no could, cheating here. That's, that's right. We haven't dug deeper yeah. than what we have here. I didn't pull out all my uh, Greek and Hebrew for this. It was... Thank it was, you. Yeah. <laughs> um, a great resource for you to consider using is blueletterbible.org. 
O-R-G. So that's something you may want to write down. Um, another great resource, if you haven't used it before, is the Bible Project videos, which give you an overview of books of the Bible. So we actually use that too. I watched it. Did you watch it? No. That's okay. All right. Jesus still loves you. So, yeah, we... <laughs> That's a, it's a great resource to get a big picture overview of a book of the Bible before you jump into it and start studying and reading. So that's another great one. Olive Tree, Logos, Step Bible, a bunch of different resources. Why are we studying First Peter? Let's talk about that because that is the book that we're going to be looking at over the coming number of weeks. First Peter, who's read First Peter before? Fantastic book. It there's a couple of reasons why we picked it. One is, is because it transitions out of Easter beautifully. Talks about things like new life and the resurrection of Jesus and how we live in light of these things. And uh, it's also extremely practical. It's got so many practical things in it about how we live out our Christian experience. I had a friend uh, ask me this week, what's coming down the pipeline for sermons? Uh-huh. And uh, I said, oh, we're studying First Peter. And he just sat back in his chair and went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. So my hope is that all of you feel that way also when we're done. <laughs> yeah. um, so what we're going to do for the next portion here, uh, I want to share a couple of important questions to ask when we begin studying a book of the Bible. So when you sit down to study and you open your Bible and you decide what book, um, we want to share with you a couple of questions to help give you a picture in your mind of like, why is this book important? What is it about? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So the first important question to ask is, who wrote the book? Um, the, The... Especially in the New Testament, often the name of the person who wrote it is the title. Sometimes not. But often, yes. So 1 Peter is not just a title. Peter is the name of the guy who wrote this book. Um, sometimes the authorship is important, and other times we don't know the author of who, who wrote the words. And so if we can know who the author is, it can be helpful. Because if we know the author, then we can kind of look at other things that we know about who wrote the book mm-hmm. to give us a bit of an idea of why they're writing the things they're writing or why they're, why they're using certain thoughts or metaphors or phrases. So in 1 Peter, the the author is Peter, the disciple of Jesus. So just think about Peter, the disciple of Jesus, and some of the things that he experienced in his time with Jesus. Mm -hmm. He uh, he walked on water. That's pretty cool. Lucky. Um, (laughs) When he was called... Uh, he, he, when he was called by Jesus to follow him, he was fishing all night and didn't catch any fish. And then Jesus told him to cast his nets. And there was this miracle of fish. And, and he falls down before Jesus after this miracle and humbles himself and says, I, I am sinful. And Jesus says, I know. Follow me. <laughs> um, Peter was present at the transfiguration of Jesus. Peter, before Jesus was crucified, denied him three times. And then we read at the end of John's gospel that he was reinstated. He was reminded that he does, in fact, love Jesus and is loved by Jesus. Mm-hmm. So these stories become like helpful things for us to have in our mind as we think about the words that Peter is writing. Right. So that's authorship. Um, the next question is, 
when was this written? What's the date? Again, sometimes this is important, right. and sometimes it's a cool fact. <laughs> um, in our instance, First uh, Peter was written approximately 60 to 68 A.D., and this was after Paul started writing his letters. We know that because Peter mentions them. Um, and before Peter was killed for his faith by the emperor Nero, who was persecuting Christians. Mm-hmm. So the date here just helps us figure out where does this story fall in history. Finally, um, well, not finally, next, <laughs> um, where was this written? And who was it written to? Again, the answers to these questions help give us context for the words that we read. And you can find them in a study Bible, which is where we yeah, pulled from. Yeah, on the yeah. first page, it gives an intro with all of this information. It's very helpful. So Peter probably wrote this letter in Rome, um, and he wrote it to, it says in, in verse 1, we're going to get to it, so I won't get into that now. Um, is there anything else here I should highlight about that? Yeah, I think we'll jump into those things. Another yeah, okay. I- interesting thing to know about a, a book of the Bible um, and it's more important in some situations than others, is the, the type of writing you're reading. Like, there are so many different genres. If you're an English um, lit person, you know different genres of literature. Well, there's some examples in Scripture, uh, narrative or story, prophecy, poetry, wisdom or proverbs, gospels, letters, and apocalypse, which is Revelation and parts of Daniel. And this particular um, book that we're going to be looking at is called An Epistle, which is not the wife of an apostle, in case you were wondering. An epistle is a letter. (laughs) It's a letter. That's good. And uh, so this is a personal letter written by Peter through Sylvanus, who's the guy who actually helped write it down. And it's written to Christians. And it's actually written primarily to Gentile or non-Jewish Christians, which would fit mostly with most of us, I would imagine. And you can tell it's written primarily to Gentiles because later on in the book, he talks about these people and the way they used to live, and he calls them pagans or Gentiles. So we know that that's the case. I think that's everything I was going to say about that. Great. Yeah. All right. So the next thing that's important to think about when we study a book of the Bible is what are the themes? Mm -hmm. What are the major themes in this book that we're about to read? And so now we're just going to look at, like we're just going to talk about what these are in 1 Peter. So one of the key themes in Peter's letter that he is writing is the theme of belief. Do you believe the right things about who Jesus is? This is, what he's, this is what he's getting at through his writing. Um, do you believe what's true about what Jesus accomplished through his life, his death, and his resurrection? You can see why it's fitting to read this book after the Easter season, because mm-hmm. um, this is what Peter is, is getting at. And do you want to do the next one? Sure. Okay. And then if you believe something, that belief should turn into some kind of action, right? Yes. The, the Bible makes it clear that when we believe, it should lead to doing. Faith without works is dead, James would say. So we believe some things about Jesus and what he's done and who we are as a result of that, but then that should translate into the way we live, which is what Peter really gets into. And um, one big theme in this book is the theme of suffering. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> 
It's the theme of suffering because when we truly believe in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and we begin to live that way, it can sometimes run up against resistance, right? Because our values run very counter to the culture. And that's what was happening in this time period as well. The believers that Peter was writing to were experiencing persecution. In fact, they had been scattered, it says at the beginning of the book. They had been scattered throughout the Roman provinces because of their faith in Jesus and because of the suffering and persecution that they were experiencing. And so Peter wants to encourage them and encourage us and encourage them to persevere in their faith in spite of the suffering that they are experiencing. So now that we've looked at the background... We forgot about the title. Oh, yeah. Well, that's going to come up, but sure, explain why we chose this title. Yeah, okay. So, good idea. Um, The title is In Light of Eternity. In Light of Eternity. How we, what we believe should affect how we live, and we should live in light of eternity. That's right. Not just in light of the idea that, of the idea of forever, but that in that word eternity means that we will be in relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. with the Father, with the Spirit, for eternity. And that idea, that concept becomes a filter for how we experience what is present. Right. So we're going to come up against this tension between mm-hmm. temporary things and eternal things. Right. And that will be another key, yeah. key theme. And what are we living in light of? Are we more focused on the temporary and what's going on right here and now? Or are we more focused on what is to come? Yeah. doesn't mean that um, we're so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. <laughs> if you've heard that saying before, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. We are very much engaged in this earthly life because we care about the people around us and we want to share Christ with them. However, we also know this is not the end of the story, what we're experiencing right here and now, which can give us great hope, which is what this book uh, has a lot to say about. So we are going to be looking at the first 12 uh, verses of this book, and um, I'm going to read them for us, and then we're going to jump into them. And something uh, that you may find helpful is when you're studying a book, is to take the verses that you're going to be diving into, and what I did here is I copied and pasted them into like a Word document, and I formatted it so I got nice big margins, right? Maybe you've got a study Bible with big margins and you just do it there. But then what I did was as I read through, as we read through again, you're going to begin to see themes in this passage. And so I I highlighted different colors, I underlined things, I connected stuff, one to another so that I could see what was going on because I'm a visual person. There you go. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, yours is beautiful. (laughs) Mine was written by a chicken. (laughs) But it makes sense to me, so. Yeah, and that's the important thing, right, is it makes sense to you. Yeah. So I like printing it out like this because there's more room and I don't feel so bad about making my Bible look messy. Oh, I love my my Bible so messy, you guys. (laughs) All right, would you read it for us? I would, yes. In fact, I will. Okay, here we go. The first 12 verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not know or see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And check this out. Even angels long to look into these things. This is pretty cool. If you notice, oh, it's gone now. At the end of the last verse, I just wrote, how does Peter even know that? <laughs> that, oh, angels, well. that angels want yeah. to look into this. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Yeah. So cool. we're going to work through this together um, and, and look at each verse and, and talk a little bit about it. Um, but before we do that, I want to share, we've shared a couple key questions about um, to ask when we're studying a book, now let's just zoom in and say, okay, what are some important questions when we're studying a passage mm-hmm. or a section of that book? So an important question to ask, what is happening before and after what I'm about to read? It's very simple. And you can read before and behind just to get a bit of the context of what is going on here in this specific passage. Mm-hmm. Then another question, what are the key themes of this passage? And you'll see on our, our written notes, it's often helpful to circle or underline words that are repeated, because um, you'll notice there's no bold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so authors would just repeat stuff that they wanted you to remember. Authors would just repeat stuff that they wanted you to remember. And then you can circle it, and I find that very helpful. Repeating stuff that you want people to remember? Yes. Okay. Um, another helpful thing, and, and depending on what kind of Bible you have, it may do this already, is to um, outline what are quotations from the Old Testament, the New, especially in the New Testament. The New Testament authors often quote the Old Testament, and your Bible may mark that for you, or it may not. So it's helpful to keep your eye out for um, 
for those things. Or just references to the Old Testament too. Yes, Sometimes it's not an actual quote. And then I find it's helpful at the end, like to really push myself to go, okay, when I'm, after I've asked all these questions and I've read it through, to be able to summarize in like a sentence, what is the big idea of this passage? Because sometimes when I read, it just goes in one eyeball and out the other eyeball. And so it's helpful to write down what, is, what seems to be the big idea of this section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a good question to ask as well is how would the people that originally read this or heard this letter read, how would they have understood this themselves? And then after we've gone through the process of studying, then we can ask ourselves, okay, that's how they would have understood it. What are the principles in this passage that I can apply to my life, which is what we're going to get to? Yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to go through this and give some ideas of what we saw as we went through. We did this separately, so you can kind of get an idea of what it's like. So the first thing that we see here, of course, is that the Apostle Peter is writing to Christians. They've been scattered throughout the Roman provinces. And um, this letter, that means, would have been passed around, right? Makes sense. Because if they've been scattered to a whole bunch of different provinces, and there's one letter, either the letter gets passed around to those different provinces and the churches in those Roman provinces, or copies get made so that they can get sent to each of them. And what Paul wants them to know is that even though they've been rejected, right? Because remember, it's, there's persecution happening. So these Christians, Gentile Christians, have been scattered. In other words, they've been rejected. Anybody been rejected for your faith before? Rejected by family? Rejected by their culture? Definitely rejected by their government? And so they've experienced all this rejection, but what Peter wants them to know is even though they've been rejected by people, what, what does he say? You've been chosen by God. Isn't that interesting? This is what he wants them to know. And um, next you'll notice that all three members of the Godhead are involved in this process. Did you catch that? It says that um, they've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So God planned this salvation redemption act through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit applies this salvation. He works it out in us. And then to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So Jesus and his blood accomplished this salvation. And this is an interesting point to reference the Old Testament. Okay, Because in the Old Testament, God's chosen people were who? Israel. Israel. The Jewish people, but he's writing primarily to who? Gentiles. So he's wanting them to know that through their faith in Jesus, not only are the Jews God's chosen people who have received Christ, but Gentiles are as well. We also are God's chosen people. And then he makes this really weird reference. Did you pick it up? Being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Like, ew, what is that about? Do you want to tell us about that? No, you're doing oh, great. okay. <laughs> you keep going. Okay. So in, in the book of Exodus, there's this event that happens where a bull is sacrificed and Moses takes the blood of the bull 
Sounds a little gross, but there's a reason for it. And he splashes half of it on the altar, which is the place where the offering for sin was made. And then he takes the other half of the blood and he sprinkles it on the people after reading the book of the covenant over them. What is that all about? Sounds really bizarre to us, but what it's doing is it's saying that those people are in covenant with God, and the blood of the bull represents the fact that this is so. So we're reading here that it's not the blood of a bull that we've been sprinkled with, it's the blood of Jesus that we've been sprinkled with, which is a tie back to the Old Testament, and they're saying, you are in covenant with God through the blood of Jesus, Really interesting. So he's comparing this Jewish, these, the Jews, Israel, to the Gentiles and saying, just like the Gentile or the Jews were in covenant with God, you now are in covenant with God as well through the blood of Jesus by faith in him. Do you want to take it from there? Sure. And the, the, like, remember, this is a letter. Mm-hmm. So this is like in the part where he's saying two. We just write two and then the name. Mm-hmm. But when Paul describes who he's writing to, he takes that as an opportunity to teach us right. about our new identity. So he doesn't just write their name. Mm-hmm. He, he begins to tell this story that you're describing. Yeah. In verse 3 and 4, um, we, we come to like, a couple of really key themes. Some of the things that I underline here are new birth, living hope, resurrection, and inheritance. And this, in verse 3, verse 3, we read God's motivation for doing what he's doing. It says, by his great, or in his great mercy, he's given us this new gift. His motivation for choosing us is his mercy. And this is something that Peter experienced mm-hmm. firsthand. Remember? Because he rejected Jesus three times and then experienced the mercy of Jesus as Jesus received him again and reestablished his love. So when Peter speaks of mercy... Of God, he has firsthand experience, mm-hmm. which is incredible. That's good. Um, then we read about new birth, and or or the, or the phrase "born again," and this is a, a, a reference, actually, um, a similar wording to Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Do you guys remember that story where a teacher comes to Jesus at night, and Jesus is trying to help him understand that he needs a new heart; he needs to be born again. And this only happens through Jesus' death and through his resurrection, through the the sprinkling Mm. of the blood. Um, Then we come to uh, another key he talks about here is an inheritance. And this is actually, so one of the things that I forgot to mention in when you're studying a section is when you don't understand something, like circle it or put a question mark. And actually, I didn't tell you, but this is something I put a question mark beside. Because I understand the idea of inheritance, but I don't feel like Peter totally says, and here's what you're going to inherit. Right. Could you help me and us? So there's something really important going on here with the whole new birth birth metaphor, right? Because when you get born, you get born into a family. And so... Peter is saying that even though you're Gentiles, you've been born into the family of God, and you get an inheritance when you get born into the family of God. And that, that inheritance is ultimately the salvation that God offers to us. Because check this out. Je- who did Jesus call God? How did he refer to him? He called him my father. Who 
did he tell us? How did he tell us to refer to God? Our Father. If God is our Father and God is Jesus' Father, how does that mean that Jesus and we are related? We're his brother or sister, right? Isn't that cool? And we are co-inheritors of everything that Jesus is inheriting as a result of his obedient life, sacrificial death, resurrection, and exaltation. So we are co-heirs, you'll see in Scripture, to the inheritance that Jesus gets. I'm glad I asked. (laughs) This is why it's important to read the Bible with other people. Because yeah, if you read totally. it by yourself and you're like, I don't know what this means. Well, I don't know what this means. I guess I'm going to keep reading. <laughs> and that's, that's, this is what we do in small groups. Yes. Right? We sit around and we look at a passage of scripture. We, we read it. We study it. We share the insights that we're getting. And things that you see, I don't see. This, this is what happened when Nick and I sat down after we had done this separately. Yeah. And we just began to talk through it. I was like, oh, that's good. And he's like, wow, that's really good. Right? That's why we read in community and study in community. In uh, what comes after this? Well, so right after the inheritance, Paul then gives us this, the tension begins between what's eternal and Mm. what's temporary. Because he says, this inheritance will never perish or spoil or fade, which means it's going to last forever. Mm -hmm. So this new relationship that we have, this inheritance we receive, is the thing that is eternal. And it becomes the thing that he's about to say to focus on when you're experiencing suffering temporarily. Because they've lost everything, right? Think about this. They've been scattered. They've left their homes, their families, their possessions. So they've lost everything. And they're rebuilding their lives in a new place because of what's happened. And what Peter is saying, don't worry. You've got an inheritance that no one can take from you. Yes. It won't perish, spoil, fade, and it's kept in heaven for you. It's secure. You don't have to worry about losing this inheritance. And it's shielded by God's power. Right. Through yeah. faith. Yeah. Which is another significant thing that, that Peter is, is going to um, introduce for us. And this is the tension. He says this is, is shielded by God's power, yet he's speaking to people who are actively being persecuted. So when we were talking about this, we just were kind of reflecting like, okay, so being shielded by God's power means something deeper than, being, than, than simply what is physical. Mm-hmm. Being protected and shielded by God's power through faith is, is not simply connected to our circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's connected to our new identity right. that Peter is, is unpacking. And there becomes this tension between something that is already here for us and something that we are not yet fully experiencing. Do you want to talk a bit about the already, not yet? Yeah. Or, or do so, we need to keep to No, keep well, I'll make some brief statements about it. So okay. the Bible talks about us in two ways. We have been saved, right? But we are also going to experience the fullness of our salvation. You've already experienced part of that salvation, but there's some things you've not yet experienced about your salvation. And so Peter's encouraging them, you've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, you've received a new identity, you've been saved, and you're walking through this very difficult season, but don't worry because one day you are going to experience 
all of your salvation and you will experience it in its completeness, right? Yes. And he even goes on to say in, in verse 6 and 7 that this suffering that we experience for a little while um, produces and proves the genuineness of our faith. Mm-hmm. He uses the image of gold being refined in fire. And anything that's impure about this gold is burned up. And so Peter is saying the same thing. As we walk through the, the, the pain and the suffering and difficulty of life, it becomes a way that, that God actually refines us. Yes. And what comes out the other side is, is oddly enough, the only thing that we truly have is what he has given us. The eternal things. The yeah. eternal things. Yeah. And so the temporary becomes this kind of, um, this, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, te- like a testing ground to, yeah. to see, like, yeah. okay, this, this faith, is it, is it real and true? Yeah, and do we, you know, he compares our faith and our character to gold. So these people have likely lost gold, silver, possessions, but what they are gaining through their persecution is a faith and a genuineness and a depth of faith that will last forever. And they are being formed and shaped into the image of Christ, which is going to become a big theme later on as we get into you know, future uh, messages. So which do we value more? The gold that perishes or becoming like Christ? It's quite a question. It's a good question. <laughs> Where do you want to go next? <laughs> Where should we go? There's so much good stuff in here. I know. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe we should jump to verse 10. Okay. Shall I do that? Or you want to do that? <laughs> no, you're just doing so great, Nathan. You just keep going. Um, well, uh, to set this up, this, this last section up, we should say that the faith that we have... Um, it gets demonstrated in two particular ways that he mentions. What does it look like? He says that you love Jesus even though you haven't seen him yet. Think about Peter, right? He's walked with Jesus. He has seen Jesus. He's touched Jesus, like in the flesh. Think about that. Isn't that remarkable? He saw Jesus when he was raised from the dead. The people he's speaking to have never seen Jesus. And this makes an impact on Peter. And he says, you believe in him even though you've never seen him. You believe in him even though you don't see him right now. Peter struggled even though he had seen Jesus, even though he had been with Jesus. And uh, we we don't get to do that today, but we can still have faith. And can I yeah, just jump, jump in? in. And, and Peter even gives us what the evidence of this kind of faith looks like. Mm-hmm. At the end of verse 8, he says that we're filled with an inexpressible and right. glorious joy. Has your joy ever been um, inexpressible and glorious? In the middle of suffering. Yes. Woo. Right? And so <laughs> this, is, this is the kind of faith that Peter is, is talking about. And I think he, Peter is experiencing that same thing. That's right. Yeah. 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 Because uh, one day Peter will give his life for his faith. He will be martyred for his faith. And then Peter, as he wraps up this section in verses 10 through 12, he wants to give them some perspective on the gospel and their situation and the suffering they're going through. He wants to help them see it from a different angle. He wants them to understand that um, the salvation that they have experienced and are waiting for 
is for the completion of is the same salvation that all of the Old Testament prophets prophesied about. For hundreds of years, the Old Testament prophets have been prophesying about Jesus, and now they know the identity of who the Messiah is. They know it's Jesus of Nazareth. For decades, for hundreds of years, the people of the Old Testament were longing for the Messiah to show up and wondering when and who it would be and how, what they would accomplish. And he's saying to them, look, guys, I know you're suffering right now, but think about it. The things that the prophets prophesied about, you are living in them right here and right now. And it's the same for you and I. Yes. Thousands of years of Old Testament history, and we are now living in the fulfillment of it. And we need to keep that in mind as we live our lives and even suffer for Jesus. Yeah, it's so true. So let's, let's talk a little bit now about, now that we've kind of worked through um, most of the verses. Yes. Um, how should we be shaped by these, these 12 verses in the introduction to 1 Peter? Well, there's it, the, the two, this passage can be kind of broken up into two sections, how, what we believe and then how we live. Mm-hmm. And in the very first verse, Peter uses this, this term, exiles. And he's going to continue to develop this idea that we as followers of Jesus who've been given a new identity, who've been, who've been reborn in Christ, we are exiles in this world. Mm-hmm. An exile is somebody who has been sent away from their true home where they belong. And Paul says that for all believers, that is us, until we are again united with God and is in his presence forever. And so he's going to keep developing this theme of exiles, but it's going to become something to help us think about how am I being shaped and how am I living in this place that is not my eternal home. Mm-hmm. And so I think a good question for us to reflect on is, are we aware of our new identity? Or maybe another way to ask that is, do you feel at home here, on this earth? Because Peter is arguing that if we have been reborn in Christ, then there should be a part of us that is never fully satisfied with the things that this world has to offer mm-hmm. us. We should, all, we should never be full, feel like we're fully and completely at rest and at home. Because he's saying, until we're in the presence of Jesus, we aren't yet. We, like, like you were discussing, this, it's the tension of the already mm-hmm. and the not yet. And this is the not yet, is that full completion of our new life in Christ. Right. And so I pose that question to you, to us this morning, mm-hmm. is do you feel completely at home here? Mm-hmm. And if so, then that may be a prompt to go back to verse 3 and 4 and continue to allow this new identity of who we are in Christ to sit in your heart and in your mind That's until... Good. It maybe makes you a little bit uncomfortable. It's good. It's good. So then that was the believe piece. And then what about applying the live piece? How do we actually live in light of this? And, and this, this is where our theme slogan comes into play. We are called to live in light of eternity, not in light of the here and now. Um, that's how come they can have joy in the middle of suffering because they're not focused on the here and now. So if, if we understand that we have an eternal home, an eternal inheritance, a salvation that nothing and no one can take away from us, even death itself cannot take it from us. In fact, 
death itself becomes the doorway into the full inheritance that we have. Think about that, yeah. right? Even death itself is not a threat to our internal, eternal inheritance. This changes how we view suffering and grief and trials. Like these people were giving their lives for their faith. Peter ultimately gave his life for his faith. You and I, maybe some of us will at some point in the future, but that's not our reality right now. But we are experiencing suffering and trials and grief. Could be the loss of a loved one. It could be difficulties in relationship. It it could be sickness in our body. There is a constant reminder of the brokenness of the world around us. And Peter does not deny the grief that comes with that. I really appreciate it. He doesn't say, oh, no, it's no big deal. You know, just get over it. Grief, whatever, you know, be joyful. Like, he doesn't say that. He says, this kind of suffering that you're experiencing, the trials that you go through, they are real, and they cause real grief. However, don't keep your eyes on that. Lift your eyes to your eternal home. Lift your eyes to your internal inheritance. Focus on that. Change your priorities. Let it impact the way you live. Don't become too attached to the things of this world. Become attached to the things of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right? That's what Peter is ultimately talking about. And when we keep our eyes on our eternal home and our eternal inheritance, it allows us to persevere with hope and with joy through the difficulties that we experience. It doesn't remove them, but it changes the way we relate to them. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, anything to add to that? No? No? Okay, there's there's a verse that came to my mind as, as we were looking at this that I want us to wrap up with because one of Peter's points one of his central points in this whole book is this idea that you and I serve a suffering Messiah a Messiah who suffered but Jesus wasn't just a, a Messiah who suffered he was a Messiah who experienced glory as well he was glorified he was exalted and if we serve a Messiah who suffered, it shouldn't surprise us when we are disciples of that Messiah and we suffer. But we can also know that we won't just suffer with our Messiah, Jesus. We will also be exalted with him. We will experience the glory that he experienced as well. And so this reminded me of Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3. I'm just going to read it for you and then we'll close in prayer. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, including Peter, including those that this, passage, this letter was written to, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily ensnares and entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, that's his inheritance, which by the way included you, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, 
suffering. He scorned its shame. And then eventually he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because he was exalted. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Regardless of what you and I are going through in this life, we can rest as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who suffered for us and was glorified, has made a, an internal inheritance for us, an eternal home for us in heaven. And one day, even though we suffer now, we experience the consequences and brokenness of the sinfulness of this world, we too will be exalted. We too will experience the glory of Jesus Christ as we stand in his presence face to face. And that is a reason for great rejoicing even in the middle of suffering. And that is a reason why we can have great hope, a living hope, as we were singing about earlier, even in the middle of our trials. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You going to pray? pray? Sure. Go for it. Jesus, thank you for Peter and thank you for his words to us. And Father, thank you for your words through him. And as we come before you as exiles here on this earth, those who have been born again in Christ, with our eyes fixed on you, we invite you to come and by the power of your spirit to shape us. Come and lead us. Come and bring healing to us. Come and establish and, and, and place on our hearts and our minds our identity in you. Jesus, thank you that we can fix our eyes on you so that we will not grow weary or lose heart as we await your return. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.